My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your servant who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, Come here immediately and take your place at table? Would he not rather say to him, prepare something for me to eat, put on your apron and wait on me while I eat and drink, and you may eat and drink when I am finished? Is he grateful to that servant because he did what was commanded? So should it be with you. When you have done all you have been commanded, say we are unprofitable servants and have done what we are obliged to do. The Gospel of the Lord. It's not easy to admit that many times in my 20 plus years of priesthood that I have felt like a failure. Sometimes people would ask for my prayers in dealing with a difficult situation that they're facing and it doesn't seem to get rectified the way they were hoping. I'm thinking of some good friends whose marriage was on the rocks. They were both good Christians, both trying, and despite their efforts and my prayers, they still got a divorce. Or a few years ago, when I was the, the vocations director for the Archdiocese of Newark, and we didn't have any applications or interests from men discerning the priesthood, so I, I started fasting one day a week, every week, as a way of almost turbocharging my prayer. Well, my tenure in that position didn't result in any substantial numbers or increase. Truth be told, it actually went the other way. Or I've even prayed with people who were, were sick in the hospital or on their way to the hospital and offered the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, and there's not been the miraculous healing that I hoped for. Those and many other times, I know I've been immensely frustrated and discouraged, not just at the, the situations themselves, but personally and spiritually. I'm sure at least a few of you are thinking I probably shouldn't ask Father for anything. You're not the only one. I remember very early in my priesthood, this guy from my parish who was just going into the hospital for a minor surgery and being a, a young priest and excited to do all the priestly stuff for the first time, I offered to celebrate the anointing of the sick just to, to pray for his healing. And while he was in the surgery, uh, the, the surgery didn't go as planned. There was some, some complications, and that was followed by an infection. So this minor procedure that should have been a one-day-in-and-out kind of thing turned into several weeks. And when I stopped into the hospital a couple days later just to visit him, he started screaming, Ah, get away from me. What kind of grades did you get in seminary? It's disappointing as a priest, just as it's disappointing for any of us when our prayers don't seem to get answered. And if you've ever had that type of experience, then when we hear this gospel, it can make us feel even more like a failure. Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, 
You would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Hearing that, my impulse is to think, I don't care that much for mustard. I'm not looking to move a tree. I just want my prayer list answered. What am I doing wrong? And I wonder if that's how the apostles felt when this was the response they got from Jesus to their request, increase our faith. Put yourselves in their shoes or their sandals. They had seen what Jesus was able to accomplish. Jesus had fed thousands with just a few fish and a couple of loaves of fish, uh, a couple of loaves of bread. Jesus had cast out demons that had tormented people for years, gone in an instant. People were healed at Jesus' touch, or even just at his word. Even non-Jews were experiencing those healings from Jesus, which was even more shocking and more surprising to the crowds back then. For the apostles, they had been commissioned to go out and to do the same, to heal in Jesus' name, to offer his mercy and his forgiveness and his blessings and his favor. And at first it was exciting. They had been touched themselves by Jesus and were excited to share what it was they had received. But the more they heard Jesus preach, the more anxious they started to get. They loved Jesus, but they were worrying that not everybody else was falling in love with him. They were seeing that dividing line being formed between those who were and those who were not following Jesus and some to the extreme of plotting to kill him. Then when they were reflecting on their own experiences of being his missionaries, bringing Jesus' healing to a world that desperately needs it, even if it seems reluctant or in some cases even hostile to receiving it. And even there, they knew they weren't batting a thousand. For example, there had been one particular occasion right prior to this passage where they had not been successful in casting out a demon who was tormenting a boy. Here was this child in need, and they seemed unable to do anything. That failure stung. They probably thought to themselves, what did we do wrong? We followed his example. We did exactly what Jesus did when he came to this boy and finally cast out the very demon we weren't able to do. So all those thoughts and concerns and fears and and failures that had been weighing on their hearts and minds comes out in this moment as they give voice to them saying pretty directly, increase our faith. And just reading that, it's kind of aggressive. They didn't ask Jesus for more faith. They kind of demanded it. They didn't ask for any correction or guidance. They just presumed that their tanks had must run low, and that's why things weren't working out. That's why they weren't being more successful. So Jesus' response to them seems almost like a smackdown. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, But Jesus isn't smacking them down. He loves them and he loves us. And part of the problem that the apostles had is something that I realize that I struggle with as well. When they say increase our faith, it's self-focused. And sometimes we don't realize that that's how we're treating our faith, that we want the power, we want the authority, we want to unleash miracles. Not that there aren't prayerful words being offered, coupled with really great intentions, but maybe there wasn't a lot of faith in Jesus after all. And that's what Jesus' response is all about. He's saying that it's not a matter of, of quantity. 
It's what have we done with the gift of faith that we have already received? Do we truly believe in him? Do we truly trust him? Do we recall who he is, what he has done, what he's doing? Because too often we can treat prayer as a, a magic potion, expecting that do this, say that, and alakazam healing. And that's not faith. That's not how prayer works. That's how prayer turns into superstition. I had a friend who was, was praying novena, which is basically a nine-day prayer for a specific intention where asked this particular saint to intercede for him. And he was asking St. Jude to intercede for this particular intention. And one night, he, he missed the night. I forget, something happened, he got held up. And his response to me was, oh crap, now my intention's not gonna be answered. That's not faith. That's twisting and manipulating a beautiful prayer into some sort of a superstition. And when we, whether consciously or subconsciously, start to treat prayer like that, that can lead to lukewarm or even a lack of faith. And that's what we hear sometimes in our own prayer. We hear someone is struggling, someone is ill, some tragedy has occurred, and our response can be this vague, you're in my prayers. But what are those prayers? Are we just calling attention to the problem like we're giving Jesus a news report? Jesus, so-and-so was diagnosed with cancer. Jesus, this person's failing out of school. Jesus, I'm floundering. I'm in crisis, I'm depressed. But we're not bold enough to ask him, Jesus, help her conquer that cancer. Jesus, remove those obstacles that are preventing him from, from thriving in school. Jesus, I know you've saved me, and you will save me now. You will see me through this crisis. You will melt this depression. In my own life, I could see the times and the experiences where I didn't see God's presence or activity was usually because of a lack of faith on my own part. I realized how there were times when my prayers were just reciting headlines. I wasn't legitimately asking Jesus to do anything. Why? Because I let defeatist, disbelieving thoughts invade my prayerful thoughts. I got too worried. What if this doesn't turn out the way I'm praying for or hoping for? So let me hedge my bets. Ask small in case he doesn't show up. Just tell him what the problem is and let him figure the solution out. That's the failure. Because that's not prayer. And that's not faith. Faith is remembering and, and giving thanks and proclaiming that we have a good God. We have an amazing God. We have an awesome God who in Jesus Christ has gone to hell and back for us to save us from sin, to save us from death, to restore us and to bless us with abundance and fullness of life. Jesus worked miracles throughout his earthly life and he did those things not to perform a, a feat, to shock and awe people into following him. Every miracle was intended to invite people into deeper and deeper trust in him, to the point that we can pray from the depths of our heart, thy will be done 
and sincerely mean it, knowing that his will is a good will, that he has great things in store for us. Think back to, to one of Jesus' greatest miracles that happens in the Gospel of John. The two sisters, Mary and Martha, have a brother named Lazarus who's sick and was dying. And they send word to Jesus to come and to heal him. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, they weren't just followers of Jesus. They weren't just people in the crowd. They knew him on a, a personal and on an intimate level. Jesus had eaten in their home. Jesus was their true friend. So when they sent word, they expected all would be well. They expected Jesus is going to show up right away, or heck, he doesn't even need to show up. He could just speak a word of healing from wherever it is he was, and all would be well. And the gospel tells us that Jesus receives the report and deliberately delays returning there. And by the time he finally does show up, he finds Lazarus has been dead for four days. There's tremendous grief. There's terrible sadness at this loss. Even for the sisters, as Martha says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You hear in that her sadness, but you also hear that she had faith in Jesus. What's essential, though, is what happened next. She still does. Yes, she's grieving. Yes, she's mourning the death of her brother. But she doesn't waver as she says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Think about it. She doesn't see a way. She doesn't know a way that things are going to get better, but she has faith. She has trust in him who does. And Jesus calls her to dig deep on that faith as he asks for a deeper profession. As he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says to him, yes, Lord, I've come to believe you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the one coming into the world. In the midst of the storm, in this bleakest of situations, a sealed tomb with a body already decomposing, she professes her faith in Jesus. And that's when the unthinkable happens. It's there that Jesus astounds the crowds and the family, bringing Lazarus back to life. Over 2,000 years later, we are a part of that history of goodness, of God's salvation. 2,000 years later, Jesus continues to work miracles in our day and age. One of the most amazing of which is one that way too many of us Catholics take for granted and treat just as ordinary is what we're here for right now. That from this altar, the bread and wine becomes Jesus' very body and blood. That Jesus becomes as real and as present in that host and in that chalice as he was when he was walking in Galilee centuries ago. He says that you and I are, are that loved, we're that special to him, that important to him. He wants to be that close to us. He wants to nourish our faith so much that he tells us, take and eat my body and blood. Why? So that we will let him live within us. 
that we will desire to become more like him and trust him, knowing that he wants this miracle to multiply many times over in our lives so that we will not live in fear despite whatever it is that we're going through or facing, but rather to go forth in confident faith, letting him work wonders in and through our lives and then making us a witness to him. I've known that truth in my very life. I've experienced legitimate miracles. Back in my senior year of high school, I had a car accident and a friend of mine almost died. And in many ways, she was expected to die. In my panic, in my shock, somehow I knew deep within that, that Jesus was with me and that somehow all would be well. I didn't know how. I didn't know what shape that would take. And it wasn't like the next day I went to the hospital and everything was fine. But over the months and years that followed, praise God, my friend was restored and she was healed. I so desperately wanted to do something to fix everything that day, especially since I was the one driving. The accident had been my fault. But I couldn't. I couldn't do anything but trust in God. All I could do was pray and hope and trust, as I said, thy will be done. It seemed so small and so insignificant, kind of like a mustard seed. But in hindsight, I can see that was more than enough. Jesus never abandoned me. He restored my friend and he worked miracles. And he still wants to. But we have to stop looking all around, looking elsewhere for answers. We have to stop hedging our bets, or rather hedging our prayers, and ask big, ask bold prayers for Jesus to do what he wants to do for you and me. As we worship him, as we receive his body and blood, and he comes into that innermost core of ourselves, he wants to answer our big, bold prayers. More than moving a mulberry tree, he wants to move and change and transform us into becoming his most faithful of followers.